Good evening, colleagues. Okay. Uh, it's, it's my great honor and privilege uh, to introduce our next speaker. Um, professor Jacob Olupona is a professor of African uh, religious traditions at Harvard University with a joint appointment uh, in, in African and African-American studies. That is a basic fact. I think when you get to a point in your scholarship or scholarly career when you have your own Wikipedia page, uh, we can safely say that you are now a world-class scholar and, again, uh, kind of a given. But I want to also mention that uh, Professor Lupana has, has and continues to exercise tremendous influence on the scholarship of African scholars on both sides of the Atlantic and beyond. And there are many in this room uh, who can uh, testify to that. As far as his accomplishments go, uh, we don't want to spend too much time, so I'll abbreviate, shall I? Um, uh, he has received numerous uh, research awards uh, from the Guggenheim Center, the Rockefeller Center, the Getty Center, and so on. And um, he has served and continues to serve on the editorial boards of uh, very distinguished uh, journals. It was interesting to me uh, to discover just recently that he has received an honorary Doctor of Divinity Award uh, from the University of Edinburgh, only to discover in conversation with him that he has also received uh, uh, honorary degrees, uh, DILIT, Doctor of Letters degrees, from both the University of, uh, of Abuja and Ife. Equally surprising to me was to discover that uh, uh, he is recipient uh, of the, the, the National uh, Order of Merit Award uh, given by the Nigerian government. Surprising to me because uh, he has been known to be quite critical uh, of, of the, the authorities uh, in, in, in Nigeria. But friends, let me uh, wrap this up. Um, uh, Professor Lupana uh, has uh, made such an immense uh, contribution in scholarship uh, on, the, on the international stage. Uh, he is the current 2018 recipient of the AAR Martin Marty Distinguished Award uh, for Service and Scholarship. He continues to do his work as founding editor of the Duke University Press uh, uh, Religious Culture of African and African Diaspora series. I first met him about 10 years ago uh, when he was doing research on uh, African immigrants, religion of African immigrants uh, in, the, in the U.S. because our interests diverge. Uh, since then, I have to say, when I find myself in other parts of the world, if I have opportunity, I let it be known that I, I know him. And that has been very good for me. And uh, uh, having this, the privilege of introducing him uh, on this cause that. I'm going to invite him, please welcome him uh, to give his talk on rethinking the study of world Christianity in the 21st century. Um, I'm deeply humbled, and I want to thank Yehu for the 
uh, for the introduction. Um, you arrived with first met a few years ago, and uh, we have been friends uh, ever since. Amen. I must say to you that this is, uh, and uh, I must say to you that I'm deeply happy to be in this gathering and to see uh, friends, old friends, and some of my ex-students who are now professors. Uh, and I also know that I am in good company uh, based on my own background as an Anglican, the son of an Anglican priest. And, and given what I think I've been able to accomplish as an individual and as a scholar. So I want to thank the organizers of this conference for the invitation. Uh, and I want to thank specifically uh, Afe Adogami, my former student, uh, Richard Young, uh, Raimundo uh, Barreto, and the students who have come to uh, welcome us, uh, to take us from the airport, and to, uh, to, be, to be here. Um, I titled my talk, Rethinking, or World Christianity and the Agenda for the 21st Century. And I'll try as much as possible to uh, go through my notes and try to see what we can sort of come up with in terms of what we have been listening to and what we've been discussing since we gathered here. I found myself almost constantly rewriting my notes, but then this morning I said I have to stop. So it's been a stimulating conversation, and I benefit a lot from this. What Christianity genealogy of an expression? I begin with this uh, above issue because I do not want us to assume that we already know what it is and what its relevance is in the contemporary trends of global Christianity. As simple as it, it looks, the term world Christianity is quite a complex and loaded terminology, both historically, politically, and ideologically. For example, and those scholars who are familiar with the debate can test, can test to, uh, uh, testify to what I'm about to say, that in the study of comparative religion, many of us object to the use of that term, the use of the term world religion, because it became not only a religious class terminology, but also a pejorative term, exclusive to higher religions, or the so-called higher religions, reflective of Karl Japspar's idea age civilization. And I remember when I joined Harvard and I was given the opportunity to pick an office out of three buildings, I deliberately chose the Center for the Study of World Religions. Because when I was a graduate student at Boston University, we weren't welcome. We were not considered to be part of higher religions. So that was why I chose that office. And I'm still there. <laughs> it's also the case that 
even those who study Islam, Christianity, Buddhism, and Hinduism, within the history of religions, do know fully well that it's highly problematic. And it was the reason why, uh, when I had a conference two years ago to uh, organize a meeting on Yoruba religion, which is considered to be a global tradition, I call it Yoruba as a global religion. And I'm glad there are Brazilian scholars who are here, and I'm sure they will bear me witness that Yoruba is a global religious uh, uh, tradition. We must say that we need to then constantly be mindful of how we use the term world Christianity. But at the same time, I must acknowledge that it doesn't carry the kinds of stigma that world religion carries. And to use the language of the Latin American liberationist, we can say that it is on the side of the oppressed and the other is almost the opposite of world religions, because it focuses on the global south as the privileged uh, uh, majority, and if you like, call the minority folks, who really make claim to that, to that term. So that's the beauty uh, uh, of it. So what Christianity, for me and for most of us, will be seen as a heuristic concept that conveys multiple meanings, equally useful in describing what we variously do in this field of interest. So I have watched the conversation in the last few days relating to methodology, theological, historical, political, sociological, and I find all of them very, very fascinating. The term itself may mean for us, Christianity in the South, which is Asia, Africa, Caribbean, and Latin America. And it may stand for Christianity as represented in the whole world, both within the global South and the global North, that is Christianity as a world religion. It may also signify the idea of the global South coming to evangelize the global North particularly North America and Europe. What in my earlier work I referred to as a reverse mission. That was a term I coined in 1990, and we often use it. Uh, people don't know the, uh, where it came from. So if you now use it from now on, know that I'm going to have a patent on that word. <laughs> Besides that, it may refer to the globalization of Christianity from the South. That is Latin America exporting liberation theology to other places, Africa exporting the theology of enculturation, Asia exporting its wisdom traditions as influences on the status and identity of Christianity in North America and Europe. And those of you who are dealing with graduate students will know that this is exactly what is going on. You may find a Korean who is in Kenya. You may find um, uh, a, Latin, uh, uh, a Latino or Latina who is uh, you know, in Asia working, and they're working on Christianity. 
the same context. So the local and the global have sort of come together. All I'm trying to say here is that we need to be able to uh, understand the context in which this uh, uh, term is used and be free to use it as we find it uh, necessary. So the above represents the varieties of the various lenses of viewing the idea of world Christianity, showing its complexity, robust nature, scope, and reach, as well as its limitations. So it humbles us. It allows us to know that we cannot limit the term to a particular thing, and insist that this is what it means. It's pretty uh, uh, to be seen in multiple ways. My central, central concern here in this presentation is to raise a few emerging issues in the study of world Christianity and to map out for us the contours of the scholarship in local, transnational, and the global context. Uh, if you feel offended with some of the things I need to say, please let me know when we leave this room. Uh, I am going to be deliberately provocative in that. It is to enable us to advance the scholarship. The Global North and Research Infrastructure. From all the available statistics that we have, the West and the Global North continue to be the financial epicenter and the intellectual and academic hub of world Christianity. He who pays the piper dictates the tune, we say. The genealogy of wealth accumulation, coupled with the capitalist mindset and drive of the West, makes the global north unavoidably not only the commercial center of Christianity, but also the space where knowledge production takes place. Concerning the need for constant reflection on the status tone, identity of Christianity in the world. If I may expand on what I've just said, not only at key conferences such as this one taking place here in the Global North, in journals, publications of books, research agenda, they are formulated, and the, even the curriculum, theological the curriculum that we, we run, the programs that we run, the infrastructure under which it flourishes are fashioned and placed within the global north. I must confess to you that I generally don't miss uh, Dale's Ivins' uh, New York Theological Seminary AR breakfast because I know I'll get good food, <laughs> but because I know that when I get there, I will hear the latest news from the World Christianity Schools of Thought. The Munich School, the Princeton School, the Yale School, and so on and so forth. We don't have the Harvard School. I hope we have it one of these days. So the question is, is there an Ibadan School of World Christianity? Is there an Accra School of World Christianity? I'd like us to think about it. So the question then for us, and I must oh, quickly say that, and uh, it's not because uh, Afe was my student 
I have seen in this thing what I'd never seen before in my career. The number of scholars who have come from the global south. And I want to congratulate all of you for making that possible. The question then is that what is the effect of this on the study of world Christianity? What is the effect of the fact that the curriculum and everything, all these things are determined from here? What effect does it have on global Christianity? How do we advance the study of world Christianity? The logical derivation is that as long as the research agenda is dictated solely from the north, our picture of world Christianity itself will continue to be fragmentary and incomplete. These days, any time I get an invitation to come and write a paper or give an African distinct, I say to them, I will give you a list of Africans who are there. Go and invite them. Let them come and speak for themselves. Because I've also become part of the diaspora. And I want to, uh, not because I'm seeing uh, Joe Carpenter, the initiative that he has announced to us, that we enable us partner with the Global South to advance the study of world Christianity, I think it must be commended. Mindful of this situation, for the research agenda to proceed, it is important that the Global North should continue to think critically about how best to decentralize it so that the study of world Christianity will be truly polycentric. We have used that term several times uh, since we came here, and I, I believe it is correct. There is now a need to create regional centers that are equipped, autonomous, and financially vibrant to self-sustain research coming from the global south. I'm not talking about the fact that there are no journals or conferences coming from the global south. One of the journals I know is Orita, published at the Badam. It's one of the oldest in the world. But my observation has been that when these journals take initiative, it is considered a local production, not at par with their international counterparts. Besides, we do not have research centers equivalent to, for example, the Arabic and Islamic centers in places like Ghana, Nigeria, and Kenya. These things were established in the 60s after independence. They are still there, where they're studying all kinds of manuscripts, Timbuktu manuscripts, these manuscripts, that manuscript. We don't have that. However, it is also the case that research foundations are pouring money to the study of this, I mean, of Islam and Arabic at the centers. And we have to ask ourselves, what do we do with Christianity? Except in Nigeria, I know in most places you don't compete with Islam. But I'm a Nigerian, I will come back to it later on to tell you where we are with things. I'm also aware that several of the scholars who are calling the shots in the global academic sphere are immigrants from the global south who are based in America and Europe. And Jacob Olupon is number one. <laughs> so that is what, what, what does that mean to us? So these schools of thought that I've just mentioned 
are propelled and serviced by, uh, by members of, from the Global South, but they are, based, they are based here. The effect of this unequal distribution of scholarly resources on the study of world Christianity is that we don't have an equally vibrant theological and missiological engagement in the Global South as we are having in the North. I listened to a number of papers yesterday, and the questions was raised. The fact that there are no active theological uh, theologians who are looking at the state of Christianity in places like Ghana and Nigeria is a serious problem. And that is why the debates that have been going on, particularly the, about sexuality, is, is approached in a very strange way. In the African perspective, it's emotional. In the West, well, they call it theological. And so the two do not match. It's not to take a position on that. People like us have become liminal figures because I say, say to them in Nigeria, it is my duty to, to let you know what America thinks. And in America here, it is also my duty to let you know what the African think about this issue. So we are liminal figures. And I think we need to recognize that. There's also another reason for pursuing the above agenda that I'm trying to lay out. That the global south, that in the global south, Christianity is not sufficiently engaged in dialogical conversation with the global north. If there's going to be a new agenda, and that's why I call it rethinking what Christianity in this thing. We must engage this thing. This thing must begin. A dialogical conversation between the global south and the global north that will address some of these critical issues that I'm talking about. Somehow, my involvement in this thing has taken me to what I consider to be my root. And I'm willing, as a scholar, to pay a price for it as you will hear pretty soon. This reflects the situation that I'm talking about. The lack of deep theological responses and engagement with critical issues that relate to the existence of the church in the uh, global uh, uh, north. And on a personal note, I must say that I find myself increasingly uh, unintentionally getting uh, into trouble, simply because I know fully well that all is not well with Christianity in Africa, and particularly uh, Nigeria. If I may cite an example here, in the 60s, the Anglican Church had a kind of an engage, uh, uh, extreme program with the Church of England, and my father had the opportunity to, be in, to have a church in Bristol for two years. Uh, and most Anglican priests at that time, or people of his age, had that thing. They went to England for two years, not to get a degree, but just to have the English experience. And so when they came back home, they were well equipped with a lot of things. They knew the English church very well, and they were never taken by surprise, any debate taken on. Most people do not know that before the debate about gay and sexuality thing, the debate was about polygamy. 
And Africa was affected by that. And somehow they had a way of dealing with this thing and resolving their issues. This is a different story today. I'm sad that because of whatever it is, the global Anglican church is destroyed because of this lack of dialogical uh, initiative. And this is what I think scholars must think about. How should we direct our response to the question of unequal resource distribution between the global south and the global north? Scholars in the global south must begin to creatively embark on a new form of Christian philanthropy that will support not only research, but also make the actors recognize that it is not enough to build mega churches and cathedrals and not enough to boast of huge members that reflect the growth of the church without a significant interest in research, such as building research centers, think tanks, and, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, I'm very happy, of course, that we do have a situation in Ghana uh, where of, uh, we can boast of research centers that, uh, that talked about uh, research in Christianity. Uh, Mrs. Oduyoye's uh, initiative and the Afro the Bideko's initiative are two important examples that I think we need to cite as exceptions to the rule. That is not the case in Nigeria, for example. Perspectives on Christian identity and the state of the field. As we take stock of the state of world Christianity, we may argue that its disciplinary and interdisciplinary approaches have provided insightful results in understanding how Christianity cut across various themes and concerns. We talked about missiology, uh, theological approach, historical approach, phenomenological, social sciences, and so on and so forth. The fact that the demarcation lines between these approaches are porous suggests that the best methodological approach is an interdisciplinary one. That is a given, and I think we need to take this seriously. So at times, as I listen to some of the conversations about theology and anthropology, I just say to myself, uh, is it really worth it? It's important because we are scholars, and that's why we train our students to be able to chapel their minds about how they approach the subject matter. One name that was missing in one of the lectures uh, earlier this morning was Peter Berger, who was a sociologist. But when we were students at BU, he functioned in the School of Theology, he functioned in sociology, he also functioned in religious studies. Uh, um, that may be an exception, but it was, it was quite accepted in those three traditions. And he functioned very well, because he was able to bridge the gap between what you call studying religion in terms of its history or origin, in terms of its function, the instrumental thing we have been arguing, and in terms of its essence, its intrinsic value. That was one thing that most of us who, who trained under him uh, got from him. And you can apply that to any religious phenomena that you want to study, be it a church, be it a ritual, you know, you kind of just look at that. Uh, when I read my students, I say, and I looked at that, and I don't see the third thing. I said, go back and write that essay. Uh, uh, well, uh, I just let me move forward. The fact that these lines, of course, and these approaches 
enable us to think critically about the phenomena is important uh, to, to, to us. So it is then important and it's imperative to invest time and energy in the development of paradigms from the global south and stop looking at what Christianity simply through the lens of Western methodology alone. I have in my uh, own way referred to these kinds of approach as indigenous hymenothics. I was um, in one of the sessions today and the issue of language came up. Unfortunately, I had to leave. Uh, it was in uh, Devakastin, I had to leave. What are we talking about? As we study Christianity in local context, we find out that within it itself, these terms that are expressed in languages are very important. The traditions are interpretive traditions. They are not just data that we, because we are doing empirical work, that we just have to apply sociology and apply Foucault and apply Gadamer and apply this thing. They are interpretive traditions. And the language will lead us to how they describe themselves. And that can be the beginning of, of interpretation and analysis. So what does that mean for us? It calls into question what we call methodology. And it calls into question what we call theory. One of the problems that we have in graduate school is that our students have a fixed notion of what theory is. And they are not willing to come out of that. And when you try to introduce a new paradigm, a new explanation, they find it very difficult to comprehend that. Theory doesn't mean that you have to go and look for Gaidama and look for Foucault and look for whatever it is to make sense of what is in. It is more than that. And if I may, I don't want to repeat that word, uh, a reverse mission, but let me tell you, say something about it. It came from the people themselves. When I, we ask them, what are you doing in America? Then they'll tell you the history of how the North took Christianity to Africa. Now it is their turn to come and convert the pagan West. So then I said, oh, so that's a kind of a reverse mission. They said, Professor, you are right. In fact, they took down their notes and wrote it down. That is theory. That's the way to begin to talk about what they do based on what, on what they said to us. So that should be the, be the way uh, uh, to go, or one of the ways to go. We may also argue that perhaps the most pivotal movement in the study of world Christianity have been signified by the following major features, the study of world Christianity that has provided material, uh, important materials to uh, a robust scholarship uh, among us, I mean, for uh, scholars. Here we may mention the activities of the missionary vocation itself, the generative prospects arising from ecumenical cooperation, the crucial work of contextualization when it comes to studying Christianity in the global south, as well as interfaith collaboration. If you take any of this time, any of this theme itself, you'll find out that they're, they, they, they're loaded, and we may want to follow that. Um, I'm going to skip that because you know what I'm talking about, and we spend quite some time looking at that. Let me uh, 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 talk about what I consider to be challenges in the study of world Christianity in the 21st century. As we look into the future, I suggest 
that the study should be concerned with a number, a number of emerging issues, and particularly difficult questions relating to the practice of Christianity. The practice of Christianity in nations, regions, and of course, around the globe. Let me quickly mention again, uh, uh, cite one example, that it is fascinating to see what is developing, the debate going on in, uh, along, uh, uh, in places that we may consider to be the contact zones. And Nigeria is a classic example. But they may lead to new opportunities. The debate in Nigeria about Islamic banking is a case in point. The government, maybe you've been following the story in Nigeria, gradually making move and, you know, if you like, you may say, trying to Islamize Nigeria, there's truth in it. I'm sorry. And then all of a sudden, they introduced Islamic banking. What was the response of the Muslims to that? Who is preventing the Christians from creating their banks? Three mega churches alone can come together and create Christian, Christian banks, or whatever it's called. What does that mean? As difficult, as strange as it sounds, it's not that Christians are trying to compete with Muslims, but this type of research enables us to see new possibilities that may come from the global south as a response to a specific critical situation, but may lead us to new areas of interest. This is why I think uh, it's important to look at that. As we look into the future, I suggest that the study should be concerned with things that will not only make us understand what we're talking about and the nature of Christianity in the global south, but of course, its relationship to the global north. Let me mention three, four points here. The first is political. And it concerns not only what has been described as Christianity in regions of the world that are in principle intolerant of the Christian faith tradition. I have in mind here states like China and even Islamic states like the Middle East. All available indications and tendencies show that Christianity as an underground faith tradition is thriving and growing in China, but among Chinese indigents and immigrants in, you know, uh, outside China too. And while we may rely on a number of think tanks in Europe and America, whose focus is the study of religion in China, we are aware of one or two centers that are looking at that. We need more than that. We also need to know that it is incumbent on the global south bodies to acquaint themselves with the status of Christianity in communist region, so as to be able to figure out the best methodological and theoretical angles to address how to study these traditions in situ. So how do we study the state and status of Christianity in a region that doesn't give it visibility per se? It should come from there. Our effort should simply be to help them make it happen. We cannot generate the theory, even the methodology, that will enable us to understand 
what Christianity is in, you know, in China. We, we can start, we can, you know, we can begin to look at that. But we must begin to think of decentering what we do so that they will be given the voice and, you know, the identity that is required. The second is the idea of global economics and how this to influence how the growth of Christianity is measured and perceived in the con in contemporary moment. A 2015 article in Christianity Today lamented the appearance of poverty and corruption in churches in post-apartheid South Africa, highlighting the complex terrain in which South Africa uh, uh, evangelicals work together to condemn and decree the corrupt current uh, uh, government. The point I'm trying to make here is that scholars must take economics seriously. Not just because we are interested in what is happening in terms of the uh, mega churches and so on, but how theology and history are kind of complicated and misinterpreted even by these mega uh, uh, churches. Third is the critical issue of ethics and morality, both within the church itself and in relation between the church and the world around us. It is no secret that in fighting along denominational lines, and sometimes within denominations themselves, constant uh, crises and problems uh, arise. A clear example is Nigeria between the Catholic Church and the Khan, which has ridiculed the Christian community in the entire country. This law leads to the final consideration, and perhaps the most important. And this is the issue of leadership in the church itself. We are aware, as, you know, as we understand through Weberian uh, 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 analysis, and the influence that that idea wields in understanding religious organizations and so on, that quite often they do not, uh, uh, they do not uh, uh, appoint leaders. They kind of just stay. And some have even told their congregation that they will be there till Christ returns. And we know what uh, happens after that. I'll move to the last section, and that is the future scenarios. As we move towards uh, the 21st century, the, quest the central question is, what is the future of world Christianity? What are the important subjects, themes, and concerns that scholars should pay attention to? And what I mean by this is how does the future relate to world, the study of world Christianity? One is the scholars as a public intellectual. Quite often, we do not see advocacy as part of our work. And that is why Christians in lands like Nigeria in the Middle East are asking us, is America not a Christian community, a Christian country? Why do they just leave us to suffer in context of that? So is advocacy part of our mission? I think it should be part of you know, our mission. It should be part of the work of scholars to understand, to advocate, to challenge, to query, and so on and so forth. In the context of this, uh, last January, uh, I mean last December, I called a meeting of Christian scholars, and we call it Forum for uh, Nigerian Christian Scholars, to examine the crisis that Christianity faces in Nigeria. Why did we do that? Because the church has failed. The church is not in a position 
to respond to the crisis that Nigeria is dealing with. And I feel that it's the role of scholars who understands both the theology, the sociology, the politics of it to come and talk about the survival of the Christian community. So the creation of a think tank and the active participation in responding to this crisis is important uh, to us. Lastly, I will mention the question that we are faced with. And what is the role of world Christianity and scholars of world Christianity in the ascendancy of populism in the global north? Don't be surprised. Quite a number of Trump supporters are located in Africa. Don't be surprised. Why? And why is it that they have not been responsive to uh, the kinds of cries and the complaints that we have made in the, in the global north? Part of it also relates to what I said earlier on, the lack of this dialogical conversation between the global south and the global north. Because if we are able to understand why they will vote for, why they want to vote for Trump, uh, then we'll probably be able to know why Christianity is in trouble in most parts of uh, I mean, the global south. Uh, Middle East is a clear example that we, all, uh, we are, we are all uh, uh, familiar with. We must now, in conclusion, I must say that there's a need for us to create regional centers. And I'm hoping that uh, uh, AFE and its uh, colleagues who have determined that this is going to be a, a yearly conference will be able to locate one of those conferences African country. I don't say me, I'm not saying you have to take it to Nigeria, uh, Kenya, uh, Accra, and the rest of That is the trend now in African studies. African studies meetings occasionally, I think one in three or four years, is taken to an African country. Uh, we take it to Asia, we can take it to Mexico, uh, uh, Latin America, not only because it will enable those scholars out there to make claim to this subject matter to also see themselves as part of this scholarship, but that will enable us to make a very important point in the sense that this is a global uh, 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 subject. It is not limited to North America. It's not limited to Europe, but I think it's something that you want to share with the rest of the world. Thank you.